So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This is the Vexing Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Kurt, the Vexing Rebel. Today, I want to discuss drugs and liberty. Because natural law theory is based upon the premise of inherent natural rights and the concept of, you may do as you please so long as you do not tread upon another, there are radical elements that believe that they may do what they want, when they want, in whatever manner they want, without being held to account. They believe that certain actions are victimless crimes, therefore out of the reach of the law. They believe this due to one or more of the following reasons. One, they are so focused on their selfish desires they cannot see the bigger picture. Two, they are so focused on their selfish desires they do not care about the bigger picture. Three, they are ignorant to the meaning of the bigger picture. There are certain issues that arise that most people have taken a strong opinion of. They are so set in their opinion of it that they have a hard time stepping back and looking at things logically, reasonably, and objectively. I, like most of you, have strong opinions about the subjects I address. However, I have managed to step back and look at these things objectively, utilizing logic and reason to arrive at the conclusions I have drawn. I ask that you set aside your preconceived notions and stern opinions and listen to these podcasts with an open mind. Some of my conclusions go against what I want to be right, but it isn't about what I want, it is about right. When discussing drugs, we need to cover a wide range of substances. They include, but are not necessarily limited to, alcohol, tobacco, cannabis, recreational drugs, and medication. When arguing as to the validity of making these substances legal or illegal, most people base their position upon either their desire to consume them or their desire to eradicate them. It is from this basis that all of their arguments grow. I will be coming at this from a different angle. The noted anarchist Lysander Spooner, unlike his modern-day counterparts, understood the limits to doing as you please so long as you do not tread upon another. Lysander Spooner noted, quote, But it will be asked, is there no right on the part of government to arrest the progress of those who are bent on self-destruction? The answer is that government has no rights whatever in the matter, so long as these so-called vicious persons remain sane, compos mentis, capable of exercising reasonable discretion and self-control. Because so long as they do remain sane, they must be allowed to judge and decide for themselves whether their so-called vices really are vices, whether they are really leading them to destruction, and whether on the whole they will go there or not. When they shall become insane, non-compost mentis, incapable of reasonable discretion or self-control, their friends or neighbors or the government must take care of them and protect them from harm, and against all persons who would do them harm in the same way as if their insanity had come upon them from any other cause than their supposed vices. In other words, so long as a person can make a logical, reasonable judgment, they should be free to partake of any vice being held to account for that choice, and society through government has no right to deny that behavior through legislation. However, if that person is not of sound mind and is unable to make a logical, reasonable judgment, society has an obligation to intervene through legislation and or other means. Lysander Spooner also had this to say, quote, To give an insane man a knife or any other weapon or thing by which he is likely to injure himself is a crime, end quote. With all these thoughts in mind, I would like to analyze each substance listed above. Alcohol. Alcohol serves several purposes. Used in moderation, it is a food that can be enjoyed for its flavor and usefulness in cooking. 
It can be used for medicinal purposes and is an ingredient in items ranging from mouthwash to cough syrup. The consumable alcohol also yields yeast, fuel, and other useful items. Alcohol can also be abused and lead to inebriation and intoxication, and that is where some people draw the line and conclude that alcohol must be made illegal. However, any substance can be abused and or used in a manner that it was not intended. Copious amounts of water can cause inebriation. You can use glue or paint thinner to get high. That was not its intended purpose. Therefore, we cannot make something illegal based solely on the fact that it can be abused. Based on these facts, it is clear that it would be unreasonable to make the possession, manufacturing, or sale of alcohol illegal. However, we must remember one very important point. So long as a person can make a logical, reasonable judgment, they should be free to partake of any vice being held to account for that choice. Children are not necessarily able to make a logical, reasonable judgment. Therefore, it is reasonable to restrict the possession, manufacturing, or sale of alcohol to adults. Please note, to save time and space, I would point out that the restriction for children can apply to all the substances I am discussing today. Tobacco. Tobacco is enjoyed by its aficionados for its flavor and aroma. It is enjoyed in a similar manner to those who enjoy a fresh brewed cup of coffee. Tobacco does not inebriate its imbiber, making him incapable of making logical, reasonable judgments, and when chewed or dipped, it does not interfere with the comfort or happiness with the public at large. Prolonged use and or abuse of tobacco may cause serious health problems. By this reasoning, many want tobacco to be made illegal. However, we have already established that we cannot make something illegal simply because it can be abused. Furthermore, the imbiber of tobacco does not lose his ability to make logical, reasonable judgments. Therefore, so long as he is able to make that choice, regardless of the warnings of possible repercussions, he may legally possess, manufacture, and sell tobacco. Some would argue that his smoking may cause serious health problems, which will increase his cost in medical care and will put his family under financial stress. I would say, so does skydiving. Skydiving isn't illegal, and the person doing the skydiving knows the risk and has made a conscious choice to be a skydiver. Again, to quote Lysander Spooner, quote, It is true that anything that is really and legally a nuisance, either public or private, can be abated and punished, but it is not true that the mere private vices of one man are, in any legal sense, nuisances to another man or to the public. End quote. The other argument for making tobacco illegal is smoking, as smoking becomes a public nuisance and affects others' health via so-called secondhand smoke. There is a degree of validity to this point, only so far that smoking tobacco can be a public nuisance and may affect the health of others. However, this argument only goes to allow restrictions to the public use of tobacco. For example, it would be reasonable for a business owner to choose to disallow or restrict smoking within his establishment for the comfort of his patrons. But it would be unreasonable for society, through the government, to legislate such action. However, it would be reasonable for society, through the government, to restrict smoking within public establishments and conveyances, such as the sheriff's office or public society government-run transportation. Cannabis. The argument over cannabis is the argument that makes most reasonable people become unreasonable. The factions that desire to smoke pot are so hell-bent on smoking pot that they will not listen to any arguments against it and the factions that are so hell-bent on eradicating it will not listen to any arguments for making it legal. I have sat down and tried to reason this out based upon the principles of natural law, and I believe that I have been successful. Please bear with me to my final conclusion and try not to assume you know where I'm going with this. Cannabis actually serves three functions. It can be consumed as an inebriating agent, the THC and other components in it has medicinal uses, and it can be used to manufacture products such as paper, fabric, etc. Let's review each of these functions. 1. Cannabis, when consumed, serves no other purpose than to inebriate the imbiber. It has no real uses of food or as a flavoring agent. It is not enjoyed for its aroma or flavor.
You do not have to abuse it as merely using it in its intended manner brings about the intended effect, inebriation. Wading through all of the rhetoric from pot advocates and pot haters and looking at actual data on the effects of cannabis on the imbiber, the following can be stated as fact. A. As far as science has discovered so far, you cannot overdose on THC, which is interesting because you can overdose on almost anything else, even sugar. But this also presents a negative in that this will not set up a natural deterrent to those who fall into or choose abuse of this substance. For example, you drink too much, you get sick, you throw up, you hate life for a while. With cannabis, not necessarily the same way. B. Cannabis use causes various mind-altering effects such as amotivational syndrome. Your priorities change. Damage to memory from habitual use, even short-term use, and it will occur to all such users. It can cause hallucinogenic effects and will, through prolonged use, become emotionally and mentally addictive as opposed to physical addiction due to damage occurring to the receptors in the brain. Therefore, looking at this purely from the standpoint of cannabis's use as an inebriator, you would have to conclude the following. Because cannabis causes a forced change in priorities, damages the memory, may cause hallucinogenic effects, and becomes emotionally and mentally addictive through damage to brain receptors, a person cannot make a logical, reasonable judgment as to the continued or habitual use of cannabis. However, cannabis has other uses. 2. THC has been shown to have medicinal usefulness. Some believe that this means that you must smoke cannabis for that effect. The reality is that for THC to be effective as a medicine, it must be extracted, purified, and put in dosage form so that a person can make a logical, reasonable judgment to take it for medicinal purposes. There are those that argue that they must smoke it for effectiveness. This argument flies in the face of reason. How can an arbitrary, diluted amount of THC be more effective than a scientifically studied and measured dosage? It can't. The argument for smoking medical cannabis stems from two things. A. A desire to smoke cannabis and or advance its legality. B. A psychological need to associate being high to attaining medical benefit. This is not unlike the story of soap manufacturers who found a way to make a more effective soap that was more potent in smaller doses but did not create suds. It did not do well with the marketplace because people associated suds and lather with effectiveness. 3. Cannabis can be manufactured into useful products such as paper and fabric. This cannot be argued. What can and has been argued is that these products stem from something people will abuse. However, we have already established that you cannot make something illegal simply by virtue of the fact that it can be abused or used in a manner it was not intended. So what is my final conclusion? I would have to side with liberty and say, treat it like alcohol. Yes, there are stoners who waste their lives on the couch in mama's basement, but there are also winos laying in gutters. Six of one, half dozen of another. Recreational drugs. Recreational drugs include items made from the poppy plant, excluding the seeds, which are a food, and coca leaves, hallucinogenic mushrooms, peyote, and so forth, as well as synthetic drugs such as methamphetamines, LSD, and so on. With a few exceptions, such as morphine's usefulness in medicine and poppy seeds as food, Recreational drugs have only one purpose, and that is to cause slavery via dependence. It is proven that all of these drugs are highly addictive and go beyond stripping away a person's ability to use logic to making them think of little more than a quest to bond with their drug. In other words, it enslaves them. Addiction to these drugs cannot be understated. Most addicts will tell you that the intensity of the high becomes all-consuming. Their lives revolve around maintaining their high via more frequent use at increased dosage. They lose all sense of control and would sell their soul if they could, just so they can stay high. Yes, the very first time that a user takes these drugs, they can make a logical, reasoned decision to do it. However, there is often fraud involved. The drug dealer will emphasize the full-body orgasm they will have, but will not explain that, before long, 
They will be filleting strangers, robbing their neighbors, and even killing in order to rattle the chains of their addiction. Therefore, it is reasonable to say, based upon all natural law arguments to this point, that, with a few specific exceptions, these recreational drugs should be illegal. However, this creates another paradox. If poppy seeds are food, and if some poppy plant derivatives and coca leaf derivatives can be made into useful medicine, does that mean that they, poppy plants and coca leaves, should be legal? The answer is a yes with an asterisk. The asterisk is as follows. Specific products made from the poppy plant and coca leaf should be illegal. In other words, there is no reason heroin, meth, crack, and the like should be legally possessed, manufactured, or sold. This creates a quandary. If the seeds, leaves, and certain products are legal, how do you stop or control the manufacturer's sale and possession of illegal products? The same way you would handle a liquor manufacturer that puts kerosene or other poisons into his liquor. Most importantly, you go after the manufacturer and seller of the poison. You seek intervention for the victim, the user, which I will discuss in a moment. The burden would be proving that the person manufactured and or intended to sell or otherwise provide for use the substance in question. Would mere possession of the substance be a crime? I don't know for sure, but I would have to say that in regard to the poison products, whether the end result is prosecution or intervention, the courts would probably need to be involved. Medication. Humans have the right to make conscious decisions and we have a vested interest in our health. It is within our hierarchy of needs, after all. Therefore, we should be free to medicate ourselves without the need for permission. In other words, we should not need to get a prescription from a doctor or other person in order to attain medication. We should be able to freely possess, buy, sell, or trade it. However, in order for us to make an informed decision, medication should be pure and safe and in a dosage form and size. We should have reasonable access to information concerning dosage amounts, side effects, long-term effects, directions for use, and so on. How can we make an informed decision without that information? The answer is, we can't. Therefore, natural law dictates that so long as those who make and sell medication provide us with a reasonably safe product along with the necessary information to make an informed decision, and so long as we can make a logical, reasoned decision based upon that premise, there is no reason at all we should require the intervention of a third party. Some would argue, but what about those that would abuse those medications? To which I would remind them once again, you cannot make something illegal simply because someone might abuse it. To again quote Lysander Spooner, quote, Every person who is sane, compos mentis, possessed of reasonable discretion and self-control, is presumed to be mentally competent to judge for himself of all the arguments, pro and con, that may be addressed to him, to persuade him or do any particular act, provided no fraud is employed to deceive him. And if he is persuaded or induced to do the act, his act is then his own. And even though the act proved to be harmful to himself, he cannot complain that the persuasion or arguments to which he yielded his assent were crimes against himself. When fraud is practiced, the case is, of course, different. If, for example, I offer a man poison, assuring him that it is a safe, wholesome drink, and he, on the faith of my assertion, swallows it, my act is a crime. End quote. Intervention. When respecting natural rights and holding the natural law, you must understand that there are instances in which you may intervene on behalf of someone else. For example, if you came upon someone who was unconscious, it is reasonable that you should look for injury, check to see if he's breathing, place your hands upon him, invade his personal space in order to perform CPR, and so on. These things, in other circumstances, would be a violation of that other person. However, in his incapacity, we, as a society, have a moral obligation to assist him. The same holds true when dealing with someone who has an addiction that has robbed him of his senses, or when dealing with an insane person, or the mentally disabled, and so on. 
However, we must be respectful of their natural rights and natural law. We cannot simply whisk someone away to an institution because we think he is incapable of taking care of himself and his needs. We must prove it first. However, once it is proven, we, as a society, have a moral obligation to assist him. When you are dealing with liberty, you have to live with the byproducts of liberty. And one of those byproducts is people doing something you don't like. You have the liberty to have an opinion about it. You have the liberty to scorn them. You have the liberty to poke holes in the air and rant about it. But so long as the other person's behavior, habits, or desires do not infringe upon you, you have no right to turn your opinions into legislation. There is a line drawn between what you want to be right and what is right. That line is drawn with ethics and liberty. When you cross it by force, fascism reigns. Until next time, this is Kurt, the Vexing Rebel, signing out. Follow the Vexing Rebel podcast on Twitter at The Vexing Rebel. Like us on Facebook and check out our YouTube channel. We will post a new podcast every Friday.